Hi everyone, welcome back to Roll for Enterprise. As ever, I'm joined by Mike and Zach, and this week we're talking about multi-cloud. The specific reason we're talking about multi-cloud this week is an article from The Register, which we'll put in the show notes. It's uh, not brand new, it's from earlier in September, but I think this is a perennial problem. I seem to recall reading this exact same article just every few months. And it's talking about how uh, organizations are over budget for cloud spend by an average of 23%, expect cloud spend to increase by 47% next year. And that's not for good reasons like utilization is increasing. It's that they're doing cloud wrong. They're treating cloud as just another way of running VMs. And there are a few people who've made quite a career out of advising people against this. Uh, People like Corey Quinn, Uh, or Owen Rogers. It's just something that seems to keep on happening. I want to lay out my thoughts, but then we can go into a bit of a discussion. So from my perspective, this is the perennial problem of people. People are the problem. Uh, Embracing the cloud as something that's different and distinct from what we've done before means that you also need to have some organizational changes. You need to decentralize, you need to delegate, you need to empower people all sorts of shadow IT sorts of things that we've discussed before start coming out into the open. And most organizations are not really set up for that. If you try to do that sort of thing, the immune response kicks in and the organization reverts to what it knows, which is ultimately servers. Everything is run by instances of operating systems running on, okay, virtual hardware rather than physical hardware, but that's about as much change as the organization is willing to tolerate. What do you guys think? I take it from from two aspects, right? I mean, leading to yours, uh, to to what you said, Dominic, I, I see it as yeah, the the people and the staff at at companies are are just not ready. They they don't understand the cloud, and you know there there's potentially a push from from higher level execs to get onto the cloud. And yeah, the easiest thing to do is just like lift and shift whatever you have, right? So. Yeah, you, you might have uh, VMs. It's like, hey, how do we just move these VMs onto onto the cloud? And next thing you know, you're you're overpaying, as as the article suggests. But of course, if you have you know a, an application that has a very defined compute, very defined storage, it's steady. I mean, why do you need the elasticity of the cloud? I mean, totally defies uh, the purpose. So yeah, people don't have the skill set yet, and we've spoken about the skill set. Uh, the other angle I see is, yeah, this kind of lift and shift mentality. I mean, it just doesn't work. You need to take advantage of the elasticity. And I, you know, to some extent, applications need to be built for the cloud. I mean, I, you know, I, I still believe you need to have different buckets of, of infrastructure to to run your apps. And some might be on, on very well-defined, you know, servers that maybe you have in-house, maybe you have at a third-party data center or or, or wherever. But I think it's about uh, ranges of options and, and people just want to get onto the cloud. And, and next thing you know, you're you're overpaying and not really sure why you did it just to follow the bandwagon. So different options for different applications and groups. That sounds very much like bimodal IT, don't you think, Zach? It does. It does. But let me go back to something you were saying, Mike. I thought cloud was supposed to be easy. If people aren't ready, then when will they be? Is it the wrong people? Uh, not the right skill set? 
then when? I mean, isn't that the whole premise here? Here we are saying that they're not ready. It's a bit of both, right? I mean, people need to have the, the skill set, of course, but like, are they not ready? I, I don't think they have a, a clear cut strategy to get there. And, and that's what's uh, what's happening. All right. Well, here's a little conspiracy. So lift and shift doesn't work. I, I don't disagree. So it, maybe it's a serverless approach. Maybe it's a new approach. So actually, is that that cloud is a business enabler, meaning that it's not for IT, maybe secretly, it's for the business to go ahead and adopt these serverless technologies and adopt cloud. And maybe the real customer isn't IT and they're going to be the ones on the outside looking in. Is that it? I, I you know, to that, I, I tend to agree. I mean, you're taking out, look, but like, Let's take a look at it from an application that goes onto the cloud, right? I mean, from an IT perspective, I don't care anymore about the OS. Somebody's managing that for me, right? Upgrades, somebody's managing, you know, all the patching, the security. I kind of start to look away from that. Not completely, but to some extent, uh, it, it, it starts to ease up on the resources um, that, that I have. So, yes, absolutely, I, I, would, I would agree with you there. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I so I just Dominic, what's what's your thought? No, I tend to agree that this is kind of well, I don't know if it's the last gasp, but it's the latest manifestation of IT doing IT from the perspective of IT rather than from the perspective of users. And so again, the perennial conversation around shadow IT. Shadow IT is the business going off and doing what the business needs because they don't see IT providing that. And I think that's always going to be the driver of the next step. IT fought tooth and nail against virtualization because it meant that they lost control over the purse strings. And IT fought tooth and nail against cloud, you know, generalizing wildly here, right? Yeah, and I, I, I yeah, and I, I'm glad you said that because I don't think that's all IT. Like, you have good teams and you have bad teams. So I, yeah, present company accepted. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that, guys. I appreciate that. The other thing also to look at here is there is an evolution, right? There, there's kind of if you're looking at, you know, so cloud is a lot of things to a lot of people, right? And you know, 80% of the time, if you're looking at an application, there's like a SaaS offering, you're going to take the SaaS offering. Of course, you're going to take the SaaS offering because there's so much less for you to manage once you get to the SaaS offering, right? You plug in, you plug in and you go. And what's happening with the SaaS offering then and what you guys are, are talking about is like, well, some people are just going to pull out a credit card, get a SaaS offering. And next thing you know, it's like all over your organization and IT is not involved. I think when they come to like, hey, we'd like single sign-on, we'd like to uh, make sure that, um, you know, our data is secure, then IT starts to get involved. But it's from a much different aspect than going to a server group and asking for, yeah, compute and storage. So, you know, there is an evolution where, we're going to not continue to talk about servers, not continue to talk about compute, because we're just going to talk about, uh, you know, starting up an app, right? So, so that's the constant evolution that's that's happening here, uh, and it's changing. It's changing every day. Right, and that's to me is the role of IT is to be the advisors, the ones who say okay, here we have two SaaS applications on the table and you've made your evaluation that they match your business needs. Uh, here I'm telling you that this one appears to satisfy our security and compliance requirements and that one will be somewhat easier to get single sign-on working. And so on the merits of my perspective as a professional IT person, I can tell you that I recommend this one as long as both of them are equal in your eyes from the business perspective and now you get to weigh 
that that advice. The, I think that one of the problems is that and I'm an ex-sysadmin, I'm as guilty of this as anyone, but we tend to fall back on what we know. Uh, so Lydia Leong, the cloud pundit herself, published a blog post um, earlier this month. And it's uh, kind of fitting for the name of the podcast. So she's talking about the multi-cloud gelatinous cube, uh, all of you old Dungeons and Dragons players are now sniggering into your sleeves. Uh, but towards the end, she talks specifically about how cost-based provider selection and cost-based workload placement are terrible ideas. And this is a reflex that people had when you had to price out hardware, you had to price out servers and you know floor space in the colo and all of that. Cost was a big factor there. In the cloud, within certain broad parameters, cost is kind of comparable across all of the major suppliers. As long as you're not doing something badly wrong, and again, people like Corey Quinn will help you avoid those problems, you're not going to be making decisions based on cost. And certainly you're not going to be changing providers every five minutes based on cost. The idea of cloud brokerage died badly. Comparable is a tough one because they're, I mean, their pricing models are, are so different. Like you never feel like you're comparing apples and apples. Right, which is the other reason why we can't do cloud brokerage because you can't easily burst from one to the other. So I want to go back to something you said a minute ago. You said that ITV and Advisor, uh, Oracle has been selling outside of IT for years. I mean, so has SAP and some of these other outfits and IT wasn't advising there. What makes you think they're going to be an advisor? Yeah, maybe from a security perspective, but not in the capacity I, I think the traditional advisor capacity. I still don't buy into that, that there, there's going to be a role there, right? I think if you ask AWS, if you could tick them behind closed doors and said, hey, really, what is your objective here? Do you really want IT to buy into it? Uh, I think they would say, no, not really. I mean, we're just trying to settle the business because that's where we're, we're catering to right now. They're driving these uh, IT initiatives. It's business transformation is driving digital transformation. Well, I, I think there's a there's a strong role for IT risk, IT compliance, because let's be honest, if, if a business is looking at a SaaS, you want those risk and compliance people to look at it. Where's your data really sitting? Who owns the data? How do you pull it out if something goes wrong? And the stability of some of these companies. I mean, you know, how often have you seen people go with like small time applications with small time groups and you're wondering like, man, for the size of our company, should we really be there? I'm sure that this conversation is happening in organizations uh, across the globe. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Let's make it real. I'm sure you're, you're in that position in a regular basis, Mike, and the business people come to you with, oh, you know, back in the days when we could all travel, uh, I read this wonderful article in the airplane, and uh, I would like you to implement, you know, whatever. And you go, oh, God, not yeah. again. <laughs> but on the, other, on the other side of the table, and I was uh, attending a session just yesterday, we heard from a couple of our sales reps about some uh, success stories that they had. And the common factor is that they align to the business. Now, this is not to say that they did an end run around IT and we sell a pretty technical product. IT has to be involved. But IT ultimately isn't the the buyer, isn't the consumer. Uh, They have to operate and maintain and they have to sign off because they're going to be responsible at some level. IT also has a bias to be conservative. Once again, and this is me speaking for myself, one of the first things you learn in IT in day one is if it ain't broke, don't touch it. Uh, So we have a workable solution, but workable might mean it doesn't cause trouble for IT. It doesn't mean it gives users everything that they need or want. I agree from a compliance perspective. Sure. But this goes back to IT. The role of IT is changing. I, I don't disagree with that. You absolutely will have compliance people. Um, you'll have, you know, some operations, there'll be some architects, but my point earlier was traditional IT. I mean, they, 
you still have those people involved in uh, the Oracle sales or the SAP sales, right? So I just want to make sure we, we clarify that. But I, I have no doubt that this is changing IT. You know, going back to what Dominic said and a little what you said, Zach, it, you know, the budgets always are held within IT, but most of the benefits, most of the harvesting of, of, of you know, what we're implementing always comes back to the business. So if IT operates within that bubble uh, without going and having like a true conversation with the business about, you know, what are your benefits? What are you looking for? If they don't really understand what the business is after, then of course, like you come to a decision point where maybe you're not going along the right way because we get so focused on technology that we're not thinking about the bottom line business that we are supporting and the harvesting always happens on their side. So sometimes there might be, uh, you know, an appetite for risk that IT doesn't realize and IT has to get comfortable with that risk. We're, you know, I, I think the biggest problem we have is we are so risk averse in, in a lot of organizations these days. Yeah, I think that's true. And for very good reasons. And when IT gets it right, you never hear about it. But when IT gets it wrong, boy, you get raked over the coals. Uh, having been the guy who took down the departmental database server back in the day, I heard about that a lot. <laughs> what, no one on IT is getting awards? I mean, come on, don't, don't we have our version of the Grammy somewhere? We got to have that. Well, and let's be honest, this is a generational thing. And there's a young generation that understands technology. And uh, I mean, we're all a little bit older. So I'll be honest, you know, 20, 25 years ago, there, there weren't a lot of uh, the, the comfort level with technology was vastly different than today. So there's a lot of things changing in the world today, right? Just a lot. And I think you're right. I mean, uh, the people in the lines of business right now, they're becoming more and more knowledgeable around technology. They're making the decisions for themselves. And uh, they have their budgets. And so, yeah, I think there's there's definitely some change. But I want to go back to what I originally said. I truly believe that the cloud companies, that their ultimate focus is not completely or solely, I should say for sure, but maybe not even half uh, dedicated to the IT departments. I think they're going for budget dollars outside because nowadays the budgets in IT are different. They're vastly different. I uh, you know, I, I definitely see it in healthcare. We're seeing you're seeing it pull back out from centralized IT back out to these departments and healthcare institutions, right? Whether it's radiology, whatever departments it might be. I think we're seeing that in other places. Mike, are you seeing that? I think you see it, but at some point there is like synergies that you start to lose. So, uh, you know, I I hate to say this, but you see it a bit in 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 a tip like in a cyclical type of way, right? So they they separate out and departments have more power, and then they realize like, hey, if we just just kind of all put our apps together, there would be synergies there. And then it starts to come together again. Then it breaks up because they can do some better things if they were more independent. So it's it's very cyclical. So yes, I see it, but it all depends on the life cycle of where some of these companies are. So it, it's 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 up and down. It's up and down. I, I don't I don't see it all the time. Yeah, I think I agree with that. So since we're talking about uh, sales and sales tactics, um, so I agree 100%. Successful sales reps uh, in my career, I've always seen the successful sales reps are the ones that's aligned to a business need because the IT needs, um, you know, they're real needs, but they tend to be a low priority to the business. It's, uh, you know, like going to the dentist. The business isn't super excited about that, but launching some sort of new thing, that's, they get super excited about that can unlock dollars. On the other hand, there are failure modes for that too. And I'm sure, Mike, you have some stories you were moaning earlier about uh, people coming at you through LinkedIn and some unproductive approaches that you'd seen there. What would you tell our listeners not to do? Oh, man. So what was it? Episode two or episode three, we recorded stupid S that vendors do. I mean, it, it's... Um... 
I don't know what's happened lately, but there's been a monumental shift where account people or salespeople are coming at us through LinkedIn. So like, and it's hard, like somebody sends you a message on LinkedIn, you tend to kind of engage. And then here comes a hard sales pitch. And you're like, Oh gosh, how, how do I, you know, like these people have no idea what's happening here. Like, how do I even begin to, to answer this? It's like, no, I'm, you're not getting my time now. If this is, and this is happening over and over and over on LinkedIn. It's like, there is somehow somewhere somebody is like preaching like a sales process where, Hey, you need to go after LinkedIn, approach all these, all these decision makers via LinkedIn. Like something has happened. You, you guys need to see it at, at some place or you must be getting you know, talked about kind of the, the approach through LinkedIn and maybe it's COVID or whatever, but th- this is what I see every day. And it's, it's getting really to a point where it's, uh, it's becoming borderline harassment, I would say. Yeah, I think COVID has probably accelerated the trend that was already there. I mean, back when I carried a bag when I was doing sales, I loved LinkedIn because people would go on LinkedIn and they would talk about what they were doing. They would post jobs that they were recruiting for. And so you could kind of backtrack from there and work out the technology stack that they had and so on and so forth. But it takes a light touch, right? It's not a shotgun approach. It's more a spearfishing uh, approach. And the good thing about the social media is that they give you all of the data to to refine your focusing. But I think with COVID, many other mechanisms are no longer practical. You can't just show up and start roaming the hallways and grabbing people. And so people who had that scattershot approach have defaulted to doing the same kind of thing, but through LinkedIn. And they must be getting hits. It's like spam, right? If they didn't get at least some hits, they would stop doing it. <laughs> it's annoying to be on the other end. Yeah, some technology companies used to, uh, they used to position by vertical or... or um... You know, you'd have like a healthcare vertical, you'd have a manufacturing vertical. Going back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, I wonder how many technology companies are, are going back to that. You know, I'm, I'm at a startup, so it's a little bit different. Uh, we don't have, you know, uh, you know, hundreds of sales guys to be able to do that. But I wonder in these larger companies, if their models are going that way, if they're going to, you know, back to, uh, you know, those type models. I, I just, because I wonder how else would they offer value? I mean, everybody has, uh, you know, their wares to position in these organizations, but, you know, it's almost like, you know, you know, a nail looking for a hammer. But I wonder, I wonder, you're in a bigger technology company, uh, you know, Dominic, do you, is that how you guys are broke up? Are you guys going that direction or do you even know? It's a, it's a mix. So the main division is geographical for us. Uh, there, there aren't enough salespeople to make sense to be totally dedicated, but individual salespeople will be more experienced in a certain area. If you're working, say, in the city of London, and there's a good chance that you sell to a bunch of finance people and you sell to a few, you realize finance people all have the same kinds of concerns. I can now go out and build a generic playbook for finance that I can go and execute uh, over and over and I can keep an eye on general market trends and it's one market rather than 15. So it kind of happens organically in that sense. You know, we, we've spoken about the changing role of, you know, the salesperson, the account manager um, as they approach IT. And I think it's becoming much more relevant. I, I think there were a lot of people that were just sitting back waiting for business. I think COVID has really changed that. And because of that, yeah, I think the ones that are yeah, it's hard to say from here, but the ones that are more dynamic are the ones doing better, or I feel that are engaging me in discussions, but there's not a lot of dynamic salespeople, account managers out there. I mean, do you guys see that? Is, am, I, am I right? Am I, am I touching the button? Because I get the feeling we're going to see drastic change here. Uh, you, we have to see drastic change. No, you're absolutely right. There, there's a lot that still live in the old, you know, uh, let me take you out to, you know, uh, 
a club, you know, uh, you know, uh, whatever you want to call them, or let me do this. Let's grab some drinks, and they try to sell that way, things like that. But uh, we just touched on it. It's so much more dynamic now because the IT manager maybe doesn't have the say he used to have. Maybe he doesn't have the budget. Maybe he has to go to the business. Maybe he has to position it differently to get the money. So I, I think you're right, Mike. I really do. Yeah, and I, I don't know that th- those tactics work anymore, right? I mean, not not only because of COVID, but you know, I, I think companies have evolved. There's there's business code of conduct practices and place where where even us on the IT side just just can't accept that kind of stuff anymore and it's um and also life intervenes i, I don't think it it works for a, a lot of people and i you know it's it's the changing pace of the world i i want to say yeah, you're probably right there it's scary for us as older guys as Zach was saying uh, i'm sure we'll be coming back to that one especially i'm delivering some uh, sales training later today <laughs> i'll tell them. by by the way i'm not an older guy but uh, let's just uh, course correct that uh, y- you guys can speak for yourself so yeah thanks Dom. <laughs> i will do that but i'll tell the sales people <laughs> to stop annoying you over linkedin i can do that at least all right all right now nobody will probably approach me over linkedin after they hear this uh, this rant but that's uh, that's that's okay that's okay no no harm that's done. all to the good keep your inbox clear <laughs> yeah exactly okay so something else that came up this week that i wanted to discuss with the two of you and uh, and it kind of follows on from what we we're just talking about. There are certain domains in tech that people just glom onto that they find cool and they want to go and spend more time in that. And when that works out, that's great because someone is getting paid for something that they would be doing anyway. That's also their hobby. And so they're very passionate about that. They dive deep into that, it becomes a big part of their personality. So there are these things like security or lately machine learning Uh, where people just dive deep, deep into these domains. The flip side of that, though, where it can become a negative, is if people just want to do that thing, and they're looking for excuses to to do that, spend more time, more resources on that, rather than, uh, going back to what we're talking about, focusing on the business need, the business benefit. So first of all, do you think that's that's true? Uh, Or how true do you think that is? And secondly, how do you think we can harness those tendencies without letting them take complete control of the organizations. My view here is like, when you look, when you look at ML, there's a lot of people who are trying to figure it out and looking for like the next cool project. It's almost like there's like a people looking for product market fit on, on, on some of what they're doing. So it, it builds into this really kind of awkward area where, you know, who are the, who are the, you know, the real experts who are the real companies and, and who's just trying to play around and, and trying to make you into their, their, yeah, I don't even know how to say this, but their, their toy box, really. I, that, that's the feeling. Yeah, that's the feeling I get. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but, th- but that's how, how I start to, to see it. Yeah, like you get with programming languages. People haven't really thought out, you know, why Python is the best fit for this project. They just really want to use Python because Python is cool. Next thing you know, you're millions of dollars deep and there's no going back. <laughs> kind of. What do you think, Zach? No, no, I, I hate to say I agree. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah. Um, I, I, same thing you guys are saying. So I'm probably not going to add much value on this one, but uh, yeah. Okay. So then the million dollar question is, is there anything, is there any easy fix that we can suggest that people can do to 
avoid that sort of horse uh, or carts pulling the horse type situation? I think the way we analyze everything, you need to analyze why people in, in organizations are doing um, or, or picking certain products. Or oh, it's always the people. Even. People are the problem. <laughs> ah, yeah. I mean, it all starts with a great team, you know, and, and those who can build great teams are the ones who are who are probably the, the most successful, right? But uh, you, you really need to understand people's, uh, you know, um, what's driving people to make certain decisions, right? It's got to come down to to the basics for for the business at the end of the day. That that's the way I see it. I don't know about you guys. From my perspective, the trick there is to give people a sense of ownership of understanding, uh, so that they buy into those business priorities that they they feel that they're their priorities too. And that's you know, easier said than done. Some organizations will find it easier to do that than others. But it's something that every organization, I think, can work at uh, and can probably improve at. A lot of success will come from that, Dominic. That's uh, that's a great point. And it goes back to what we've been saying throughout the beginning, uh, from the beginning of this episode, right? I like what you're saying. It's It's got to start somewhere. Yeah, agreed very much so. Okay, so moving into a couple of follow-up things that came up. Back when we were talking about the iOS App Store, Mike and I both had a very strong position that we liked the curation and we thought it was a positive because that way we felt happier to spend money on apps because we knew it was going through Apple and it was controlled. Subscriptions wouldn't get out of hand, etc., etc. Well, unfortunately, there was a bit of an issue with that recently. Uh, So Widgetsmith... Uh, which is an app that lets you build these iOS 14 widgets uh, in a very cool way, lets you customize them way beyond what the the base operating system lets you do. Still, you know, without jailbreaking or anything like that, but it's a really, really cool app. It took off on TikTok, uh, of course, because that's where cool trends take off these days. It was the number one app in the app store for quite some time. And of course, when I went to download this thing, because I'm cool and with it and up to date with trends, there was a different Widgetsmith app above it in the rankings. Someone had managed to, to spam the, the App Store ranking and get their own Widgetsmith thing above the real Widgetsmith app that I actually wanted. And that just it undermines Apple's argument also with the Epic situation that they provide value with the App Store and the value that they provide is in this curation. If they can't even get rid of such an obvious ripoff as that, it really calls that the value of that into question. And so I just want to call that out a little bit for the specifics of the case, but also just generally for our listeners, you have to be consistent with that sort of thing because users really care. They pay attention. They notice inconsistency. It's something that I personally hate to see as a fan of Apple, as a fan of their platforms. It really leaves a sour taste in my mouth and other companies could definitely learn from that and do better. I I think that's... um... That's a fringe case. I get the feeling. Um, I, I mean, those mistakes are always going to happen, right? There's always going to be a one or two Z, but I think the app store for the most part has been fairly consistent. I, and again, I, I don't mind. I, I think everybody's going after Apple for this, this premium that they charge, but that, that premium gives me some, some safe place about what I'm, what I'm putting on my phone, what I'm getting and, and so on and so forth. So I, I think this is really a, a, a fairly big divisive um, discussion, um, and, and yeah, Epic is is kind of taking it taking the hard road here, and and um, I, I think eventually Apple will have to give at some point, or somebody will force them to give. Um, but I, I I truly believe that at at some point they got to give the the user and the, and the people using the products the uh, the option to opt in, opt out. So we'll, we'll we'll see where it goes. I mean, I don't. Well, that's the thing, I and mean, it's. Uh... 
it's a hard case, and Apple is. It, it happens at the worst possible time for Apple, but they need to pay more attention to it for that precise reason, so they don't give a free win, a free goal to Epic and others who are do not genuinely have users' best intention at, uh, at heart. I give Apple a gold star here. I, I do. So kudos, Apple. And this is the, I, one of the reasons why I like to uh, to stay with Apple when it comes to data privacy. And, and the Apple Store does give me a sense of, um, to your point, Mike, I, I don't know if it's a false sense, but a sense of um, a comfort level. Oh, yeah. No, I agree entirely. And I'll buy into this uh, Apple One bundle as soon as it releases. Uh, it's just the, the timing of this. PR isn't just PR. It's also consistently doing the right thing. And this was an easy ball that Apple fumbled. No, it's, it was unfortunate. So anyway, moving on, further follow-up in the automation market. VMware earlier this week announced intention to buy SaltStack. Uh, I wrote about this on my blog, but the short version of that, the TLDR, it's important, but it's not exciting. Automation is now table stakes. Uh, so there's probably going to be a few more acquisitions. Puppet's still standing out there as the biggest of the independent automation platforms. We can assume something's going to happen there. I have no inside knowledge. This is not investment advice. <laughs> but uh, it does seem obvious that every platform is going to require deep automation capabilities. Uh, but equally, the automation is now assumed and the interest has moved elsewhere in the stack. It's become a feature rather than a product. That That's the bottom line. Correct. And I think Zach's comment a few episodes ago, monitoring tools are are, are truly dead. And this is just a bit of evolution here that's that's happening. That's That's the way I see it, at least. It's going in the same direction. And we'll have to try and get someone on here to talk about how those two worlds can merge monitoring and machine learning and IT operations together. But um, let's close out with some recommendations. So, Mike, I think you had a recommendation that you shared with us. Yeah, yeah. You know, I uh, yesterday I was listening to a, a podcast where Elon Musk got interviewed. Um, quite interesting. I mean, Elon's always got some some quite wild takes. But he was talking. <laughs> you can from, say that again. Oh, man. Was that wild tokes, did you say? Uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> so he was talking about Neuralink at some point and talking about how, yeah, you know, if aliens come here and how they would look at us. I mean, he goes, we, we got to get to a point where we can communicate faster. So yeah, let's put chips in everybody's head. And he referred to human lips as, as meat flaps and, and being too slow. So it was quite interesting, quite bizarre, but uh, but so entertaining. So I, I, I would recommend that everybody listens to it. It was on uh, the Sway podcast. So uh, definitely a good listen there. Okay, I'll have to check that out. And it sounds like some of the stuff Charlie Strauss was talking about 20 years ago in Accelerando. So worth looking into. From my perspective, I have a, kind of an old school recommendation. I recommend light. I put a light strip up above my desk and my desk is in a dark corner of a dark room. And so it already has a fair amount of light around it. Or so I thought. I put a little LED strip up, uh, partly just to make sure people can see me on my webcam. But it's also changed my mood sitting here of fending off that seasonal effective disorder as we go into autumn. So I highly recommend just getting more light into your working areas. Does that have vitamin D by chance or is that just... I have <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Maybe the D stands for vitamin D, L-E, vitamin D. <laughs> well, well, it, it does make a difference. No, a lot of people have these. There are people that have, you know, clinical depression or whatnot. Yeah, in Scotland, um, the SAD lights. Well, well, yeah, they have vitamin D, right? So they have these vitamin D lights, I think, or whatever. Um, uh, you know, uh, right now, temporarily, since, you know, we've got some stuff going on in our house, we're doing a renovation. I'm working um, outside of the house in this little area in the garage. 
And to be quite honest, uh, sometimes I don't see a lot of daylight. So I thought, well, maybe I should do that because I try to get up and get out some. So I was very sincere in asking that. Does that have vitamin D? Because I, I, I think this is also, uh, you know, the, the next pandemic is is this mental health pandemic. And so I'm, I'm curious if it does. I think a lot of listeners would uh, would be interested. So I don't know if it doesn't. That's fine. But I was just wondering. You know, I'm not sure, but I do know that my kid's pediatrician has recommended that this autumn and winter, we all take vitamin D supplements, specifically to stave off pandemic related stuff, because we're all indoors more, etc, etc. So yes, definitely a factor, definitely something to look into. I I've, I've, have seen a lot of people starting to put lights around like, like ambient light or behind monitors, I, I guess that's becoming a, a bit of a fad. I, I don't know if that's going to stay. So Dominic, you, you've literally put like a strip behind your monitor, right? That doesn't doesn't quite come into your eyes, right? And it's shining in my face. So I have a, a shelf above my desk. I'll send you guys a picture and maybe try to figure out post in the show notes of what it looks like. But yeah, it's it's illuminating me as well as the surroundings. It's not behind my monitor. But I know what you mean. They'll put like a, a neon strip behind their monitor and makes it look all fast and the furious. <laughs> you see it everywhere now. So um, yeah, inter- interesting, interesting. I guess I'll have to look look that up. Good stuff. Okay, so Zach doesn't have a recommendation this week beyond vitamin D. Is that right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, vitamin D is always good. So you can find us all on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Roll four with a number four enterprise uh, or there's a page on linkedin as well we'll link these in the show notes but uh, we look forward to talking to you again next week do share any news tips topic recommendations or if you have any guests to recommend and feel free to recommend yourself by the way that's also perfectly legit thank you have a great weekend thanks guys great discussion let's do it again next week yeah thank you everyone mm-hmm.